Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 68, Some Scraps for the Homely Looking Fellas. This week, we're discussing series 5, episode 6 of Doctor Who, The Vampires of Venice, and season 1, episode 5 of Angel, Room with a View. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Vampires of Venice. Um, Vampires of Venice. Interesting episode, I thought. Uh, Yeah. So you had actually mentioned to me before this that it was written by the same guy who did um, the one with Giles. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. School reunion. School reunion. I knew it was school yeah. something, and I, but it wasn't reunion. I was thinking of like four different words there, and none of them were right. Um, yeah. And I am so, in case nobody has like noticed this by now, I am terrible at remembering like names and titles of things. Apparently, I just don't do. But um, yeah. And and so it was interesting because I obviously I didn't know how to do it, but you can see sort of the little connections, right? So it's a school that the lady runs you know, and kind of uses the students as her, uh, you know, way to bring her race of people, you know, aliens or whatever to this planet and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So there's some sort of loose connections there and the vampire. So like before they were big bats and and now they're vampires. Well, and and the sort of implicit connection with vampires because of the presence of Giles as, as well. Um, sure, sure. You also get um, kind of similar scenes of confrontation with Rosanna and the Doctor, kind of similar to that uh, confrontation with the Giles or the Anthony Head character and the Doctor in the pool when they kind of yeah. try to persuade him to, you know, have yeah. an alliance that he kind of shoots down. And the other thing, which I think we'll get into in more detail, is. Uh, I think the biggest connection between the two episodes is the inclusion of the companion's boyfriend in yes. this sort of pseudo love triangle, you know, of mm. of torn affections between the kind of more uh, bumbling, uh, you know, not as adept at the adventure, you know, and mm. kind of normal, uh, you know, home boyfriend. And then, you know, the kind of, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, you know, the, the, the fabulous, you know, doctor who is, you know, the point of comparison for the right. the mundane boyfriend and everything. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Although in School Reunion, I kept thinking school hard, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to admit that, but I guess I will. Um, in School Reunion, you also have the added... Um, Sarah Jane element though too. So yeah. you, you get like a double yep. you get Absolutely. It, instead of a rectangle, you get more of like a double triangle that share two like a quadrangle yeah. sort of. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. like no, a rhombus. And, I would and, the same And rhombus. I think um yeah, and I think we can as we talk about Rory, I think uh in sort of doing the the companion's boyfriend goes for an adventure story and by having it written by Toby Whithouse, I think Maybe that's being set up as, you know, you're meant to kind of look at the two stories or the two characters in parallel. So I think we can maybe think about comparison, but also contrast. You know, it doesn't mean they're doing the same story necessarily, but... No, um, and they're clearly not. And they're clearly not. And clearly, I think we're supposed to be thinking, how might 
Rory and his relationship be Amy with Amy be different to Mickey and his mm. relationship with Rose. So, um, you know, I don't think it's just like a redo of that episode. I think it's kind of playing with similar ideas, but it takes them in different directions, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. So, and definitely the Mickey connection is there. And I, I actually thought about it, not during the episode quite so much as at the end when Amy invites Rory on to uh, the yeah. TARDIS with them, you know, to, to join them. Um, whereas with Mickey, um, is it that episode where he sort of refuses and asks the doctor to lie for him? Or no, that's, is it, that's... is that a different, that I couldn't remember exactly when that happened. That's earlier. What, what does happen at the end of school reunion is, uh, the, the Mickey kind of gets invited and Rose rolls her eyes. <laughs> They're okay. Okay. Spectacularly. I... Yeah. It's yeah, her kind it... of like, I if you want to come, I guess that's fine. But clearly she'd rather he didn't. So the difference um, being here that Amy is actively inviting him and saying she wants him along. Right, right. Um, yeah. But, okay, interesting. Yeah, and, and Rory kind of is happy to come, but I don't know that he wants to come in quite the same, because we kind of talked about in school reunion how by that point Mickey more rather wanted to come for himself, mm-hmm. you know, that... He didn't want to be the tin dog. He wanted to right. get out there. And it kind of was in spite of Rose that he went because she was, you know, maybe a little not happy about that. Whereas I think for Rory, he seems more, we might as well just talk about the end, I guess, that, you know, he seems more happy to come, but happy to come because Amy is happy that he's coming. He doesn't necessarily want to come right. for him. Right. It's more about, you know, hey, I don't mind if you drop me home. But when Amy says, no, no, you know, it's okay. I'd like you to come. He seems pleased about that. So I think the motivation is slightly different and the characters are in different places. And that's interesting too, because like, like you could get that idea that he's being passive aggressive, but I actually don't think he is in that instance. I actually think that he realizes that his sort of displays of jealousy and and irritation at the doctor and the kiss and all of that earlier in the episode that now he's sort of come to realize, you know, that maybe he, not that he necessarily acted wrongly, but that he sort of allowed those emotions to overcome, you know, and whether yeah. you consider that to be wrong or not, like that's, I'm sure different people have different opinions, but like that in this instance, he's actually saying, okay, you, he's actually sort of acceding that Amy is a person who maybe needs to do certain things before she gets married and that he's going to go back and wait for her and love her anyway in right. just that sort of way. Like, I don't get the feeling that he's just being like that he's trying to sort of solicit an invitation by saying, well, I guess I'll just go home right, right. unless you invite me into the TARDIS. Like I actually get the feeling like he is sort of not happy about it, but if that's what needs to happen, he's willing to let it happen without putting up any more fuss about it. So yeah, I kind of like I'm, that aspect of it. I, I think I'm with you. That's the sense I get too, is when he kind of says at the end, you know, really it's okay. You like, know, if you need to do this, you yeah. know, just drop me off at home and like, I'll, you know, I'll get over it. Kind of, I don't, I don't see that as being 
you know, manipulating her into, or guilting her into, you know, right. inviting him, but, but is sort of obviously, understandably pleased right. when she does want him to come anyway, so. And, and sort of on the flip side of that, that it's, that she's being genuine as well. Like, she's not just inviting him, you know, because she feels like she has to or right. anything, but like, especially coupled with the kiss that she gives him, yeah. you know, uh, after he's done fighting with um Fran Francesco there uh that yeah, he yeah. that mm -hmm. he uh you know that she goes up and gives him that big kiss like you get the feeling that it's genuine and that she has also sort of had a realization throughout this adventure that she really wants him along and wants to be with him um and that what Rory well and what the doctor says but and and Rory repeats that, you know, the lifestyle sort of clouds you to that, that this has done sort of what the doctor intended it to do, that it's become uncloudy. They're sort of seeing clearly again and and are enjoying being with each other. Um, and now that they're both out there together, they'll together enjoy being with the doctor kind of thing. I, at least as of this episode, who knows what happens in the future at this point. But right. um, one thing that I wanted to read real quick that you actually... You, uh, you saw me like holding my finger up and you were probably oh, yeah. not sure like what I was doing. You're I like, thought you were like getting the ants out of the lizard cage again or something. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, well lizard, lizard <laughs> no, is no more. So. That's right. I forgot. Oh, <laughs> um, but I actually just read today in a weird coincidence. Uh, I read in my Joss Whedon, the complete companion uh, nice. book. Uh, I was reading an essay on, Buffy and the sort of like the fantasy canon, like where does it fit in? And it was talking about when, when you talked about like Mickey and Rory being sort of like the every man or the, you know, like the normal guy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, this, this essay was talking about that and um, was talking about, so, so it was, it's talking about sort of like the difference between quote realistic fiction and, and stories versus fantasy. And it says, um, you know, one key difference between those two is that realism focuses on novelties of human interaction, while fantasy focuses on ordinary human interaction in new worlds. Uh, fantasy wants the container of the story to be new, the setting, the circumstance, while realism wants uh, the contained or what goes into the container to be new, that is, the characters. Mm. Uh, realism wants new men fighting against the old world, while fantasy wants ordinary men who find themselves in new worlds. And I just thought that was kind of a, a, a good sort of, you know, yeah. uh, uh, dovetail, I guess, into kind of what you were just talking about. Because I think that's, I mean, that is, you know, you get sort of caught up in like, you know, the, what if the strange man in the new, in a blue box came, would I go with him and how, you know, yeah. what would that be like? But, but actually we've talked a lot about, you know, what is it about the doctor, you know, that strikes it out. And it's, you know, we're, we're actually meant more often than not, at least in this series, I think in the new series and new who to, to identify with that companion. And we've talked about that sort of thing before, but I think it's yeah. good to sort of reiterate that that's what we're doing here. Right. I think even in this episode, one of the interesting things is that, um, and I mean, it could just be because I'm a guy, but I feel like we're sort of prompted to identify, identify more with Rory in this episode than we are with Amy because yeah. Amy has even changed in the few sure. episodes that she's been in, you know, because of her interaction with the doctor. Um, and, and you don't 
notice that until you sort of look at it from the ordinary guy perspective. You know, right. it's, you know, she ran off with the doctor because that's what she always wanted to do since she was a little girl. And so that whole sort of thing has consumed her. But Rory has never wanted to do that. Right. Um, and it's sort of enforced upon him. And, and so we get this, you know, this ordinary guy. And also seeing Rory at a stag party. And literally a week ago, I was at my brother's bachelor party. So like, there's like, <laughs> there's like all these like little things kind of going in there for me personally to kind of attach yeah. myself to it. But, um, you know, I think, I think that we are sort of meant, you know, prompted to see it and to see how much Amy has changed in just a few short adventures and to sort of get again, you know, sort of once again, renew that, 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 perspective of the everyman or of the you know normal guy kind of thing um or normal person even uh you know just what what does that look like and and how does that affect you and anyway i feel like i'm rambling here but that just sort of no i mean i think definitely the the part that reminds me of is um when they after amy's gone into the school and investigated and they meet back up again when uh she says like they're they're not vampires they're aliens and the doctor's like ah aliens classic you know and uh and and says like that's good news and we're just what is wrong with you people like why is aliens better than Mm -hmm. you know vampires you know like to him it's all bizarre it's all strange it's all monsters you know whereas to them you know aliens is something we understand and that's like you know something we can wrap our heads around and 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 know how to deal with and we really knew they weren't vampires all along we just had to figure out you know Mm -hmm. what kind of aliens they were and how they were doing this and everything so you get that that stark you know the difference between like you said how far amy has come that just in however you know these couple weeks she's closer to the doctor's point of view than to Rory's, you know, of like Mm -hmm. being more on his wavelength and as fast as him and coming to the same conclusions as him. You know, she's kind of aligned herself more with him. Yeah. Um, And it, and that moment uh, where they do that, you know, Oh, it's not vampires. It's alien. That reminded me of um, tooth and claw where, where Rose uh, and the doctor are there. And it's like, yeah, but werewolves like yeah, yeah. like there's this really yeah, yeah, yeah. serious thing, and everyone around them is like, and then, and then they they're get like, really excited. But werewolves, right? And yeah. they're like, yeah. and everyone's <laughs> kind of looking at. Them. And I mean, there's no other companion with them at that point, but it it has right, that same right. sort of feel to it. I thought. Well, um, you get that great moment of of them like jumping up and down and giggling and getting, mm-hmm. but and then Rory runs off. You know, we saw a vampire, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we know, like we we've done right. that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. not only is he like not understand their enthusiasm but he's like three steps behind them as well so he doesn't even get to like revel in the fun that they do because Mm -hmm. it's so he is this ordinary guy who this is all new for him he's Mm -hmm. not like a companion yet um he's sort of processing it and you know i think a callback too to just sort of like where we first saw him kind of like he's not quite incompetent and he's not like Hmm. you know stupid or anything i mean he's he's a nurse whatever but Hmm. like he seems to be the kind of guy who like 
yeah, who is like sort of one step behind or doesn't quite know how to like explain. <laughs> he doesn't quite know how to explain the things that are going on in his head. Um, yeah. And so we, you know, uh, I was just thinking like, you know, again, of where he's talking to like the doctor and she's like, you know, like Rory is right. We find out later when, when she's talking, not to the doctor, the doctor, doctor, the, the female doctor that he's talking to when we like first see mm-hmm. him and she's like, you know, well, what's going on? Like, this can't be happening. Oh, what right. you're yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. you know, right. is, with the, with the, with the camera phone and everything. Yeah. yeah. Ta- talk yeah. about like not being able to explain the things in your head. I'm doing a very poor <laughs> job of it right now. Um, but, but so when, when he's talking to her and sort of trying to spit it out and, you know, he's right. He just doesn't know like the words or how, you know, have the experience to do it. And, yeah. you know, again, like when he's standing out in the field and the doctor notices, like he's the one looking at, something different like he is the one noticing different things but he's not like quite present enough to like really i mean he tries to tell people about it but he doesn't quite know what's going on and so so you get this idea of again like where he's sort of like not quite in sync with amy and the doctor and and you know talking about that stuff that get it's that same sort of thing again he's He's noticing things. He's, you know, he's acting. He does has that whole kind of funny, you know, broomstick slash sword fight with Francesco and stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. And so, like, I mean, you know, he is he's active and he's willing to sort of jump in and whatever. But again, he he's just not quite there. He's like a little out of sync. He's a little not quite able to um or not even maybe experienced enough yet, like to really sort of jump in with both feet, like Amy and the doctor are doing. Um, yeah. I, the, another part like that, that really cracks me up is his speech to Rosanna when he's trying to get them to accept Amy. And it's just so British. Like, and it's like, you know, it's the TARDIS, you know, translation circuits. Like every, it's not like, you know, they're really Italian and they're hearing like English or whatever, but like, the way he's speaking is so British, you know, that Mm -hmm. it's all about, you know, I'm a, I'm a gondola driver and money's a bit (laughs) tight. And, you know, like, uh, like he, like it's the way he kind of like lamely, like, you know, yeah. So, you know, that would really be brilliant if you could take her. So thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So you just kind of realize how like, just the way that the doctor and Amy sort of, I guess the way the doctor and the companion or the experienced companion can kind of uh, shape themselves to the time and place that they, you know, they don't like change clothes and change their accents necessarily, but they act in a more confident, you know, way that kind of, you know, it, it, it just kind of brought home to me how, ordinary and british rory is in that situation that, yeah. like he just completely by the way he talks clearly does not fit in this time or place and you know no sticks out like a sore thumb so you kind of realize the difference even between him and amy there you know amy yeah. has more confidence in her approach than yeah than he does well yeah like so for an example of her you get the like the doctor when he shows the inspector right at the beginning there his psychic paper and and we don't know who he is but the guy calls him your holiness or whatever and you know so like amy immediately sort of affects you know yeah, her yeah, yeah. her own oh, yeah. you know so, yeah, sort yeah. of 
like she doesn't know who she is even at that point, but she knows she's with yeah. someone who's considered his holiness. So like she puts that on and then Rory's like, wait, this says I'm your eunuch. <laughs> like what's going on? Like he, he, he's not even sort of present enough to like, just go with it. Just pretend for a minute, like yeah. something that yeah. seems like would be proper in this instance. He's just like completely confused. Doesn't know what's going on. But yeah. at the same time, you get him talking to the doctor and like saying like he gets he's like oh yeah it's it's another dimension like in here like right. i put that together right. i did some research and what so like yeah. again it's not like he's dumb or incompetent that particular thing he's prepared yeah. for because he's already kind of looked into it but it's the sort of in the like yeah he needs some time to process he needs some time to like absorb and get into sort of his brain what's going on yeah before he can really react. I, I love that part with that, comp, the way it's shot with when he says, you know, it's, it's basically another dimension. And the doctor goes, the, the, the doctors, I like the part when someone says it's bigger on the inside. Like he worries such a disappointment because yeah. he doesn't get to like right. show off. And, yeah. and the camera comes in really close on their faces. So it's this like confrontational showdown and everything. Yeah. But um, I feel like, Kind of what happens, so like you're right, like Rory's not completely, he's not as maybe uninitiated as Mickey started, who had all this sort of dumped on him, whereas like Rory was involved in the 11th hour, you know, so Mm -hmm. he did, you know, and and you're right, like he did pick up on stuff that other people don't, so he's a little bit more savvy, I guess, than Mickey was, but it kind of seems like what he doesn't really get until towards the end of the episode is maybe the sense of why this might be fun you know like it's mostly what he's kind of reacting to is amy when amy like does pretend to kind of you know be a noble person sort of condescends you know to the Mm. person and and does that little like head nod he kind of looks at her like what are you doing you know and and you know and he doesn't understand why it's good if it's aliens and he doesn't get excited when it's a vampire. He gets kind of concerned when it might be a vampire, you know? Um, and he's mostly just worried about Amy and safety and getting home and everything. So I feel like it's not till the end when he kind of finally gets caught up in cheering the doctor on like everybody else, like when he's climbing up to the top of the tower that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I think finally when he seems genuinely pleased to be invited along you know you don't really get the sense like he kind of gets it cerebrally like he's read about this stuff so he understands about in theory he understands about time mm-hmm. travel and mm-hmm. other dimensions and aliens but he doesn't really see the appeal of yeah. any of that you well, know well and it, it goes to like what his you know what he says to the doctor he says uh you know what's dangerous about you it's not that you make people take risks it's that you make them want to impress you but then by the end, he's wanting to impress the doctor. Exactly. Like, you know, the, and, and the <laughs> yeah. doctor even points that out. He's like, wait yeah. a minute, one minute you're like sort of flashing out at me and the next minute you're here like joining in the fun. So, yeah. yeah so, I mean, I think you're right. Like that is, you know, the, the, the mini arc of this episode for Rory is just the discovery of the spark. And that's not to say he'll always think everything is fun. I'm sure he still has ways that he can grow. But, but it does seem... I think you're right. Like by the end of the episode, he's, he's sort of, you know, even though he's sort of willing to go home and whatever, there is 
he does sort of brighten up at the idea of being able to continue on with them. One, because he's with Amy, but also you get yeah. the sense that it's because he can do a little more of these adventures that is just not something he ever would have thought he would do. You know yeah. what I mean? So, um, yeah. Yeah. And he can kind of not only, you know, kind of agree to go along with what Amy wants, but maybe even understand why it appeals to her, you know, which is probably why he's willing to wait for her anyway, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know, that sense of, you can see why this is something she wants to do, you know, and he may, he might prefer it if they just went and got married, but he at least understands at the end, you know, enough to kind of say, you know, go on, it's okay. And to be kind of happy to go along with it, you know, mm -hmm. at least for a while. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and also, too, the the stuff about, you know, wanting to make people, you know, making people want to impress you and everything gets, again, at that tension in the Doctor of, you know, yeah, it's he's a little frustrated that Rory is kind of inconsistent on that point, but so is the Doctor, you know, because I think he's constantly conflicted about, um, do I want to have companions and have them get involved and have fun and do stuff and be together or do I want to keep them safe you know and those are sometimes conflicting desires for him too so I don't even though uh you know maybe that's the first time we've had a companion say that to him but I don't mm. think that's the first time it's occurred to the doctor you know that's nothing new for him that sure I think that's kind of the same old tension that he faces you know it's just that it's some it's rory saying it instead of you know mm -hmm. himself thinking it you know or one of the bad guys saying it or something you know right 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 the, davros says stuff like that but it's davros you know <laughs> we don't care <laughs> yeah uh, i name you doctor yeah the um, story world. yeah 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 exactly so um we've gone all over the place here yeah it's uh, true Although I think we've sort of centered around Rory, so <laughs> maybe we can finish up. Any other any other thoughts on on him and and sort of the stuff that he goes through? I I love by the way that the Doctor pops out of his cape, yeah, and yeah, uh, yep. that just that whole scene and and yep. the Doctor <laughs> dropping the bomb in front of like all of Rory's friends and yep. basically emasculating him at his own bachelor party. That's hilarious. Um, yep the uh yeah yeah and the you know can somebody let lucy in give her a jumper <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah, right like he totally went out and made friends with the stripper <laughs> that's precisely what is likely to happen um yeah. to cover the stripper up even more uh yeah. the the uh <laughs> um and then and then and, that and moment too, of the my... funny how you can say something in your head and it sounds fine right well and my favorite thing about that is that it cuts to the credits on an awkward pause, which might be my favorite cut to credits moment ever of like this really, you know, pregnant mm -hmm. pause and silence of just, <clears throat> and nobody says anything. And then the music starts. Like yeah. there's so many times where it, you know, you have to lead in on like an action moment or something, but like, that's such a, like, you know, minute little comedic mm -hmm. detail. And it's like, I just love the dissonance between that awkward silence and then the credits. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. 
so yeah no i mean i feel like we probably hit most of what rory sort of yeah. goes through maybe um so with amy though because there's there's a bit of a change with her too right because i mean we're coming right off of her trying to yeah uh kiss and do more <laughs> with the doctor right uh you know into um i i guess i was kind of surprised that she sort of I don't know, uh, just sort of accepts what the doctor does, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, right away. Like, I mean, it does seem at first like maybe she's not unhappy, but maybe uncomfortable with Rory being there. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. Like, like it's... Yeah, when they're in the TARDIS, she kind of seems like, I don't know if this is a very good idea, you know. Yeah, yeah, but also like, she sort of sweetens up to him pretty quickly too. Right. To Rory. And... And I don't know, like, sort of the first time I was watching it, um, before I had seen sort of everything and sort of that kiss at the end and, you know, her inviting him to go along, like, I had a moment of, like, is she being entirely sincere? Yeah. Like, in the yeah. in the whole, oh, let's just enjoy our date kind of yep. thing. Like, like yep. is this just a distraction? Right. And I'm still not entirely convinced that it's not. I think you're <laughs> right to be a little ambivalent about, especially that point. You know, maybe right. maybe you can make an argument about whether or not it's more sincere by the end when she does, you know. And and I do say, think like, that it is. Like, I yeah, do think she and, is more sincere by the end. And I think that's a, but I think that's a, I, I pretty much agree with you there. And And I don't know, like, I can't prove one way or the other whether that moment is false or not, but definitely I read it with that same kind of, she's trying to get herself out of some trouble here. And Mm -hmm. she's turning on the charm, I think to kind of say like, you know, like, you know, it's pretty understandable that he wants to talk about, you know, why are you running away with this guy and kissing him on the night before our wedding. And she's kind of like, Hey, we're in Venice. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about yeah. Venice. <laughs> we're on a date so, yeah. uh, that you did it not orchestrate of, or have anything yep. to do with until the doctor made us. So it kind of bats her eyelids and, and sort of, you know, convinces him and, to just enjoy it. So, you know, I think I, that's how I read it is that's a little moment of, of distraction. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also that moment too of of Rory asking, "Did you miss me?" And she said, "I knew I'd be coming back," which right. is another deflection. She, another she, not really answering. She, yeah, question. she's not answering yeah. the question. It's yeah. it, and actually, I mean, it implies to me that actually no, she did not really miss right. him because she knew she was yeah, coming because back. I, because that's the unspoken right. other half is like because I knew I'd be coming back. I didn't really. I didn't miss you. really miss you. I was sort of. Go off having my own fun. So, yeah, like, I don't know. So they're very interesting. But I I, I do feel like by the end that she is being sincere. Like, like we already talked about, like, I do think that she sincerely wants him to come. And I think that the kiss is sincere and that and it and it goes. I mean, you have to have that kiss in there. Right. Because that's what the doctor says. It's it it should have been you who was there to be the one who was being kissed. Um, but not only that, but also because like by his being there, he's actually the one, I mean, Amy saves him just as much, if not more as he saves her. So like, 
it's not like he saves her so she kisses him because she's also doing the saving. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Right. But like, but but the fact, yeah, that like that they're kind of that they're together and experiencing that together, I feel is like what you know what uh, the doctor is kind of getting at there. Like it should have been you because you two were meant to be together. She, you know, this this can't happen. Uh, yeah. You know, between me and her. So. Um, yeah, and that sense too that like you know, this doesn't address the kind of, you know, more, I guess, deep-seated, you know, uh, feelings that Amy might have, like, you know, I don't want to dismiss all her feelings for the doctor, because clearly this is, like, her childhood hero that she grew up with, so, you know, she might, you know, kind of love him at a slightly deeper level, but also, there's just that sense in which, you know, they're, like the, the kiss after flesh and stone was more about like the doctor says being amy's first real experience of danger you know yeah. and and that feeling of you know she says you know i almost died and so like wanting to sort of you know, i don't know do something sort of drastic to celebrate the fact that she survived you know that's kind of yeah you know now there might be other feelings at play but the doctor's kind of putting it down to well you know we had a near-death experience and we survived and you know and if you'd been there with us um you know she would have wanted to celebrate with you you know it's just because i happened to be there so um that's kind of what he he dismisses it as that yeah um Um. so yeah but i think too like her uh, when she kisses Rory at the end, it's more that acknowledgement, like you said, of like, he's not very good at sword fighting, but he tries, you know, he mm-hmm. gets the broom and he, you know, is trying to, you know, do the like thing of getting involved. And, you know, he's not very good at it yet, but it's it's that kind of, instead of him just kind of standing back with his arms folded, looking disapproving, he mm-hmm. actually like, you know, gets involved and does something and, right. you know, and so I think that's her kind of, that's more what wins her over is kind of his willingness to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then sort of, I get, so, you know, there is a sort of mini arc for her character too, just like there is for Rory, um, you know, bringing them both sort of closer together, but also like looking at the bigger arc of her you know, from earlier episodes where like now, I mean, we already talked about like, yeah, the excitement, whatever that she's, you know, she's changed a bit or whatever, but like, it's, it's not like, I'm just thinking back to um, the second episode there where, you know, they're on spaceship UK and, Mm -hmm. and they're, um, you know, she's still in her nightgown or whatever. And, and like, you know, the doctor's trying to like get her to follow a girl, like not something very dangerous at all. You know what I mean? Like, and she's kind of like, well, why do I, you know, why do I have to do this? What, what am I doing? And blah, blah, blah. Whereas now she's like, send me in, send me in. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll go in. I'll, I'll do this and that and the other thing. And it's, you know, like she's kind of gone completely the opposite way from like the reluctant, (laughs) you know, to do whatever. I mean, even though she does sort of end up doing it, 
But like now she's like almost like way too eager. And you get to that yeah. point where the doctor now I think there's other stuff going on. So we can talk about the doctor's sort of motivation for this too. But when the doctor is like, you listen to me and you go into the TARDIS, right? Which is yeah. similar to him in, you know, victory of the Daleks where mm-hmm. he's like, you stay here, you listen to me, you know, you stay in this bunker, which is actually yeah. the safest place you can be right now. So there seems to be these moments of like being very strict and being very much the, uh, authority figure and trying to make her do what he wants yeah. her to do and not, not in a nefarious way, but I mean, you get the feeling that it's, you know, so that she will be safe. It's not, yeah, you know, like he's, he's not just like trying to control her to control her, but it's because he thinks that that's the best thing, which of course then she proves that she's, yeah. One, you know, her and Rory sort of together are capable of taking care of themselves and each other. But also, right. like, then it becomes a, oh, well, now we need to go help the doctor. So, like, they never end up going back to the TARDIS. Right. It's, right. it's this yeah. whole, you know, thing where they're, you know, even in going to do that, they realize that that's actually not what they're supposed to do, even though it's what the doctor wants them to do. Uh, yeah. And then when they do show up, and he kind of gives them the little speech like, what, you didn't listen to me? And then it's like, okay, well, then beat up this chair for yeah. a bit. Um, well, you might as well make yourself useful. Right, right. Um, but even, I guess, for him, like, even sort of that realization that, okay, actually, there is something you can do. And maybe... Right, exactly. Well, and that's without kind of ever... the key thing. That's the kind of the key thing is that he actually does need them. You know, he needs someone yeah. to be doing this while he goes and does something else. So, again, you know, as much as he... That's that tension between do you keep the companion safe or do you let them help you? Because he clearly does need the help. Right. Um, and uh, before we flip over to talking about the doctor, I also want to just mention, too, that other, uh, again, a, a little bit of a moment of ambivalence, but also one of the funniest bits. And this is a really funny episode in general, but um, sure. when uh, they're t- arguing about who's going to go into the school and their little exchange about the doctor says, well, we'll go together. You can be my daughter. And she says, your daughter, you look about nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the bit about, you know, um, you know, no, no, we're fiance. But then when Rory goes, you know, you can be my brother. So again, that she's giving off uh, mixed signals. I think of what, what her relationships are to these, <laughs> Her boys, as she calls them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Guido kind of says, "I thought you were her fiance." He's <laughs> right, like completely. The doctor's right. like, "No, that's not helping." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, from this outside perspective, this is it, what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, it really looks like you know, you actually are her fiance. So, um, you know, even though I think everyone's pretty happy by the end, I think those are sort of unsettled questions. You know, of exactly what is everyone's relationship and is it as settled as maybe it appears at the end of the episode and stuff, but yeah, no, I, right. I see what you're saying. Like it, like it's, it's, it's still kind of tenuous, even though we're kind of meant to think that, uh, it's solid. Maybe not, maybe not even solid, but like, yeah, like you said, settled, like there's, there's still the idea that like there, but yeah, there have been other times where people have said certain things and like, maybe it wasn't, 
yeah, I don't know. I yeah, don't know because yeah, I, I don't think... know. I don't know what happens next, so I have no idea where that goes. But sure, uh, I think you're right. Like I think if we were to think like, okay, everything's fine and dandy now, like that would be a little too simplistic, probably. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I think the the moment that you noticed about you know Amy kind of deflecting those questions, and then these other moments of her kind of not uh, putting Rory in the most romantic you know of lights, you know, in terms of. Mm-hmm you know, being her eunuch or being more like her brother or whatever. Like, I think it's, you know, she does accept him at the end and she does appreciate him and does want him to come. But I don't know that it's totally unambiguously, you know, determined as to what exactly her feelings are uh, for everybody. So, And And, desiring one person doesn't necessarily negate your desire for another. Like, it, it, it seems to be the case here. Um, for good or ill, whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, well, yeah, even, even the, the unit comment, I didn't really think about it, but yeah, what an emasculating thing. Like, couldn't, couldn't just be a servant. You had to be like an actual eunuch, uh, you know, so there's, yeah, there's this sort of throughout, uh, you know, these references to Rory being, not quite man enough for her in various ways. Well, and, and you get that again, outright with the, uh, flashlights, that little moment of, you know, let's not do this. Yours is bigger than mine. Although, although that's a funny callback in a way to sort of the opposite between the doctor and Jack. Right. Uh, when, when, uh, they're talking about, Oh, it's Sonic. Don't worry about what, what, don't worry about it. What it is. It's, it's Sonic. Don't. Yeah. Um, going the other way. The doctor's sort of, well, and that kind of gives you, you know, I guess differences between Jack and Rory, but also differences between incarnations of the Doctor, you know, in terms of their their confidence, maybe, you know, like, yeah. I'm not saying the Ninth Doctor is less of a man than the Eleventh Doctor, but, you know, where <laughs> Many he physical was, changes happen. You know, <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't want to assume anything, but, you know, where <laughs> he was at in his relationship with Rose when Jack comes along, as opposed to where this doctor's at in his relationship with Amy when Rory comes along, you know, those are very different dynamics. Sure. Um, so, you know, yep. Yep. Interesting. Um, so speaking of the doctor, yeah. Um, and we already kind of talked about the beginning opening, which is still hilarious. Um, yeah, the, uh, so I think, I mean, Mostly what I want to make sure. So we I, we get the moments like where it's kind of just him and Rory and Rory keeps trying to have like the let's have the man to man talk here moments and the doctor yeah. just kind of. I don't know if he's willfully obtuse in some of these or like if it's just like yeah. him being the doctor, but like you get like, you know, his ex- explanation, you know, I was frightened, but we survived, you know, and the relief of it. So she kissed me and you kissed her back. No, I kissed her mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like this is almost like Laurel and Hardy style dialogue, you know, yeah. like, and obviously very intentional and funny and, and all of that too. But like, I'm also not entirely sure if that's again, like the doctor deflecting in the same way that Amy's deflecting right. or if it's, just him being the doctor and saying things that he doesn't quite he realize doesn't quite get, yeah. the, the impact, uh, you know, to the listening party, like in the beginning where he's, you know, saying, 
to the entire stag party that you know yeah, she's a great Rory's kisser fiance. you're really lucky yeah 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 yeah, yeah you're really lucky lucky because she's a great kisser like he yeah. doesn't quite get that um, right well, I mean, he does sort of seem to get that well after. But, like but here, that's the thing, is he gets it after it's already been said. <laughs> right, right. Whereas here, like, it doesn't, it doesn't even seem to phase him. Like, you don't get the idea that he even sort of realizes, like, what he's talking about. But maybe he does. Right, right. I don't know. Um, right. So yeah, I don't know. I think yeah. he's a little bit inscrutable. You know, it's kind of hard to tell exactly how much is outside of here's a question with the 11th doctor to one to keep open how much of his not seeming to understand sort of people is intentional (laughs) you know and i think that's an open question i think i've heard people you know have different opinions on that subject you know is he sort of weird and kooky and alien because he's weird and kooky and alien or is he you know is that kind of a convenient front for not Mm confronting issues which are you know a little uncomfortable so you know i don't know you know does he really not understand what rory means by that question or is he using that like you said like is he being willfully obtuse of what the question means in order to kind of deflect it with humor and i don't know that we get a real clear answer Mm -hmm. i mean he he obviously at least knows enough to, you know, you can kind of see him working through, like, uh, having been down roads similar to this and seeing how, you know, now maybe we won't mourn the fact that Rose didn't end up with Mickey. You know, maybe that was a relationship was sort of not, you know, a real strong one to begin with, you know, so... I'm not saying, like, that the doctor ruined what was otherwise a really healthy relationship, but you can still see him kind of putting together this idea of he can see where this is going, and, you know, as soon as Amy sort of pounces on him, he runs to go, you know, get Rory and get them adventuring together. Mm -hmm. Because kind of what he says is, you know, if only one of you does this, and the other one is left behind that you can kiss the relationship goodbye because it will ruin it, you know, and you won't be able to kind of be in sync with each other anymore. Um, So whether it's a relationship worth saving, at least he's kind of determined to bring Rory along as well and give him the chance to do what Amy's doing and kind of, I guess maybe let it be uh, their decision as a couple, as opposed to, whisking Amy away and sort of knowing that it's going to destroy the relationship, but doing it anyway. Um, yeah. Being a little bit more intentional about that, I guess. Right. And so I think one of, one of the things that I sort of am curious about, and maybe we don't have enough info yet is to just really like is, yeah. What is it that makes him sort of want to keep Amy and Rory together or at least have the opportunity to stay together if they choose and sort of have it be a conscious decision like you're talking about, like rather than just him taking one away from the other. Right. Um, one of the things about that that I sort of, I guess, I'm curious about is like, is the why of that? 
Like, mm-hmm. is it because he thinks that Amy and Rory are a good couple and need to stay together? Or is it that he just doesn't think that he should be with Amy or that Amy should be with him for right. some reason or another? Like, you know, there's it. It could be like it could it could be him just saying, yeah, like you know, you're meant to be with Rory and you two are great together and that's why we need, you know, that's why it should be you, Rory. Like, you should have been there. Yeah. Or it totally could be, yeah, I'm not ready to be with someone right now. Like, you know, like, or, or even if he was like, yeah, you're still six years old in my mind. Like, which which we've gotten a number of references to, which is, Actually, why it's kind of funny that she says he looks like he's nine, exactly. you know, in this episode, <laughs> yeah. because, you, you know, he's very recently reminded her that, yeah. you know, he, she is still pretty much a little girl to him. Um, yeah. And especially with the references that you get of, you know, oh, you should never grow up like, you know, we'll we'll fix the fact that you grew up like, mm. you know, so he's actually trying to not like retard her growth or anything, but like in, in a good way, trying to help her keep her childhood and her innocence and that kind of thing. And so it's, yeah. I mean, it's hard to understand what his motive is exactly, or if it's a combination of those things, which it could be as well. Like, I mean, yeah. they might all be correct or there might be pieces of correctness in each one of them that, you know, sort of influence why he's doing this but he goes out of his way and like even and like you get these little reminders through the episode too like that it's um like when he's talking with uh uh rosanna there and Mm -hmm. you know they're doing their little question back and forth and she's like well why are you here and he says wedding gift you know like like you know it's like (laughs) it's like by that point in the episode you kind of have forgotten that this whole thing is supposed to be a date for amy and rory but um because just so much has happened and whatever, but it, there is that sort of those reminders throughout that there is a purpose to them being here beyond sort of the plot of, you know, what's going on with the fish aliens and that sort of thing. So, um, again, I, you know, and, and I feel like that's one of those questions that like you were saying, like, could just be an open question. Like maybe we'll never get a solid, Right. Coherent, you know, or or even trustworthy or, you know, uh, satisfying answer. Those were a lot of adjectives, um, you know, to that. But like, I think they all apply because I think that there, you know, it might just be one of those things that you just have to sort of come up with your own reason you know, these are the things that happen and we may not ever get that sort of insight into the doctor's actual mindset. Oh. Yeah, no, I think it is one of those things that it it doesn't ever just come out and tell you. And even when he does, like even if the doctor says, "Well, this is why I brought you," we are perfectly at liberty to disbelieve him. You know, I think yeah, yeah. There's authenticity kind of, issues. There. There's that. There's that sense of never quite knowing what his motivation might be. You know, so mm. he mostly doesn't tell you, and when he does, even that is sort of suspect. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think we can yeah, maybe keep looking, you know, in the coming episodes and see if, like, a trend starts to appear or anything, the, you know. The um, un- unreliable narrator. The unreliable um, doctor. Yep. Um, 
Very interesting. So I don't, how much do you want to get into? I, I feel like we need to talk a little bit about, um, I don't know that we need to talk about much about Guido and Isabella, their father mm-hmm. and daughter. One gets killed, the other gets killed. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, there's not um, a lot to say. I, I kind of I kind of like Guido. Like I have nothing against yeah. him. I just don't know that there's a lot to say about him. No, um, uh, he gets his, his I, I, good moment of wearing Rory's stag shirt, which is very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I like that he sort of has his revenge. You know, even though he ends yeah, up yeah. taking it out on himself as well. But but he at least you know it's like well they killed my daughter, so you know I'm going to take a few of them out as well. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, but I, I feel like we definitely need to address the Rosanna uh, mentions of the well, and not even just Rosanna. Is it um, is it is it her son or is it um, um, the other guy who makes the mention of the silence, like when they're oh, doing? Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the other guy. It's their sort of manservant. He's like when he's reading out. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. From the scroll when they're gonna right. It's like execute. a. Isabella, yeah. It, it's almost like ceremonial, but then like, like you realize like, well, they're running from the silence now. Like this is a recent thing, so I don't know how much ceremony could have developed in that short amount of time. But, but yeah, like there's this, there's that first sort of reference to sort of wet your tongue, and yeah. uh, you know, but then you get um, Rosanna, you know, kind of giving the explanations of, uh, you know we ran from the silence. Uh, there were cracks. Some were tiny, some were big as the sky through some. We saw worlds and people and through others, we saw silence and the end of all things. We fled to an ocean like ours and the cracks snapped shut behind us. Saturnine was lost. Um, and so there's this, the silence like, uh, and and the mention of the cracks. So Mm -hmm. now we get like, you, you know, we, we've already seen the doctor sort of referring to what's on the other side of the cracks. And, uh, and in yeah. this case, like, you know, yeah, like clearly they're expanding. Right. And, and we, I mean, we've seen them in different places, so we kind of knew that already, but right. like, but like this, they're like becoming more important. And then you get that moment at the end where he's like, wait, what's going on? It's silent. And, and and Rory says, it's, oh, it's nothing. It, it's actually silent. Yeah. Like, what's the big deal? Um, yeah. So, uh, one made me think of the Gelth coming through um, mm. the, the rift. Because, you know, a rift and a crack aren't all that different. No. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, like, just the idea that, you know, there were these aliens that came through this thing or tried to come through well they did come through in this case and uh you know just sort of thinking about that happening all over the place apparently like now there's there's these things um also so with the idea of the silence it reminded me of you know the end of season four where you get the darkness like there's this right right there's this sort of big you know proper noun presence you know perpetuating itself all through proper noun presence perpetuating itself all through the galaxy uh to make it very alliterative um so you know i mean whether it's similar in any way to that i don't know but like there does seem to be some uh hints that the doctor should know what's going on with these cracks and things yeah and and i'm wondering how much of that 
is actually a maybe not a direct or it could be direct, I guess. I mean, you know, result of sort of the stuff that happened with Davros and the reality bomb and, uh, you know, sort of all of that stuff with the darkness spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that we get this idea that there's there's cracks through time and space uh, right. that apparently can be traveled through, at least by some aliens in some ways, but then other ones where there's something like more nefarious behind it. Uh, yeah. kind of like we saw with the angels and stuff. Right. Uh, right. you know, that the doctor even said that in that instance, it was the end of the universe and all of that kind of thing. So don't really still know what's going on, but wanted right. to make but, sure yeah. we brought that up. Yeah. She kind of makes a distinction between some, through some cracks, we saw worlds and people. So you kind of imagine if they escaped through a crack, it must have been through one of those where they fled to another mm-hmm. world, you know. But then through other cracks, it was silence and the end of all things. And and the end of all things does sound like the Doctor's, you know, what's mm-hmm. on the other side, end of the universe, you know. And we got kind of an idea of what that might mean with time being unwritten, r- totally unwritten and memories being, you know, mm-hmm. rewritten and erased and everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean it kind of seems like there are all these cracks sort of all over the place and they are slightly different. Some of them, you know, you can fall through time to somewhere else. Mm. And some of them are just that, you know, fire at the end of the universe, I guess, kind of like what the doctor saw with the angels. Um, so. And, and, and so there's also sort of two meanings for end of the universe, right? It could mean like, a limit, like a boundary, like you've come right. to the end. But there's also the the idea of it, its non-existence, like, yeah. a re, you know, the reversal of the Big Bang kind of thing, um, right. which right. is, which some sort of people predict, you know, scientists predict could happen, like that there could be a reversal and, you mm-hmm. know, basically everything starts contracting versus expanding and all of that. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh so yeah, so interesting stuff that we can watch out for. We only have a few minutes left, so I don't know how much more there is to say about that. Any anything we've missed or, or glossed over that you can think of? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I guess just like with the last thing with the silence is that moment of the end where, um, I mean, last week we got the first time the doctor notice the cracks, right? Because we've seen the cracks following them, but the doctor didn't necessarily see it. It's just, just sort of behind the TARDIS all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then we kind of got the Yeah, doctor. or like the underside of the spaceship or whatever Right, right, right. Like... So this time, you know, now the doctor's aware of it. And now he has some kind of, some uh, exposition from Rosanna to kind of say some idea of what, you know, they were, that there are people fleeing from this and, and that this is happening. So you get... um you know, him kind of, I think if last week he noticed it for the first time, this week it's kind of like him looking distinctly sort of unnerved as he goes into the TARDIS. Mm. You know, he kind of getting worried. It's like, what's that? Do you hear that? You know, and, and Rory kind of shrugs it off because he doesn't know that there's anything to really be, you know, uh, nervous about. Whereas the doctor yeah. kind of looks like, oh, he looks a little shaken up i think by that on un- that eerie sort of silence at the end and and that's interesting that you mentioned that that rory may not know so like i mean obviously he wasn't around for the discussion with rosanna but i 
I don't even know at this point if Rory is familiar with uh, the crack that was in Amy when she was still Amelia, you know, you know in her know. wall. Like, I'm not sure, like, whether she would have told him about that, or even if she did, whether he would just put that under the, like, oh, that was the game that we played. He might not realize that that's real, right. you know, or that that's actually, you know, still out there somewhere. Or he may not know um, anything about it I would think at, at the very least, if he's heard about it, he's not really considering that as, like, a real danger. Right, and certainly in this moment, he wouldn't make it any connection with the silence, you know, the that silence, he right. hears. The silence he hears, the lack of noise <laughs> that he... I don't know. I don't know what the right... Because you can't hear silence, right? It's the opposite. The sound of silence. Anyway, we should move on. I it's feel like song. it is. <laughs> um, one other thing that I wanted to mention about Rosanna is um, you get again... So we get... You know, we made reference to Davros and the, you know, I name you, the, you know, yeah. Holocaust. So we get another sort of thing here, right? You know, one city to save an entire species was so much to ask. Um, and and sort of that idea that she's blaming him for this yeah. destruction, like, you know, for this genocide, which it's not really his fault, right? And, and, and right. I like his sort of explanation, um, you know, that it's that you have to move on, right? It's not, it's, yes, bad things happen, but that doesn't mean you get to do bad things to other people. Like, right, right. There, there's a moment of grieving. And actually, just even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of, you know, like the whole Ferguson stuff where, oh, yeah. you know, in uh, Missouri, where, where you get these, um, y- you know, these riots and stuff happening because someone got killed. And, and yeah, there's definitely that sad and that, you know, maybe and probably shouldn't have even happened for Michael Brown to get shot the way that he did. But at the yeah. same time, you know, you have like these people uh, and and I don't mean to imply that it's Michael Brown supporters who are the ones writing because it may not even be. It could totally be, you know, other people who are just sort of taking advantage of that situation. But but there is this sense that like, you know, when bad things happen, it does promulgate more bad things yeah. in one way or another. And yeah. so the only way to prevent that is to actively and, you know, decisively say that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in this cycle of violence or, you know, reaction to, uh, you know, a bad thing by also reacting badly and, and that kind of thing. So I, it, it seems like that's basically what the doctor is getting at here, that it's, it's not about, you know, m- moving to a new world. If, in that new world, you have to kill everyone to live there yourself. Cause like right. that just, even, even if it's only limited to a city, which let's face it, eventually they'll, you know, grow bigger and move beyond right. just Venice. So, you know, they're like, right. even from the beginning, her whole argument kind of is undermined by the fact that, you know, that it's not going to be limited to one city. So, but does that justify yeah. the doctor, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't like this doesn't feel like he's at fault as much as other times when, you know, races of beings have died at his hand. You know what I mean? Right, like this right, isn't yeah. him killing off the last Dalek. Right. right this right. is this is him stopping someone from killing other people. And if that means that they eventually die. Yeah, that's a rough choice. But they also should never have been here in the first place. So, yeah, 
yeah, there's 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 an ambiguity there, and there's there's you, yeah, I don't know. There's there's definitely uh, 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 he's not he's not really at blame, but maybe not wholly innocent either. So there's like right. there's like this weird duality uh, to sort of what you can ascribe. Yeah. Well, I think it is kind of linked to that moment, you know, with with Davros and Journey's End, where you know that what he's saying is unjustified you know the doctor isn't a you know a, a you know destroyer of worlds in the sense that Davros is you know or in the sense that these people are but um still when you have you know the villain and maybe even more with Rosanna than with Davros when you have them kind of say even by stopping us you're kind of you know helping to bring about the end of the species you know whether what they say is valid or not you know because the doctor is you know a kind sensitive soul you kind of can't help but feel that he takes some of that you know to mm -hmm. heart even if what even if her you know whole position is you know obviously unfounded you know there's still that sense of you know it's another. It's yet another species which you know is ending and and kind of laying the blame at the doctor's feet. So, mm. and again, not, I I don't want to say that to ever say that like we should agree with the villains when they say that. But I still would say that I don't know that the doctor doesn't you know uh, find some of that like find it difficult to completely dismiss what they're saying. I yeah, guess. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and that seems to be the case. Like there does seem to be more so with Davros than I think here again, just sort of, but there is definitely kind of a half truth, at least in there somewhere. Yeah. So I agree with that. So I guess we'll see where that goes as well. Uh, mm. But anyway, time to move on. Yes. Moving on, moving on to Cordelia. We get a Cordy-centric episode, mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, although it was kind of interesting, um, you know, that it was definitely felt Cordy-centric in the sense that, and of course, like, you get Jane Espenson writing and, and Cordy as the center, so you know it's going to be funny. Um, sure, but, like, sure. I was sort of not prepared for how... Uh, kind of dark and bleak it was going to go for a while in there, you know? Mm. So even though it kind of comes back around to reaffirming Cordy's, you know, you know, humor and spirit and personality, it kind of loops back around. But for a good long while there, you know, there's kind yeah. of a uncomfortable stretch in the middle. Um, yep. So that kind of took me by surprise. So that was good. I wasn't really expecting that. And And I think just... You know, looking at the tone of Angel versus Buffy, yeah, you, that that tends to be the case. Like, they're even the funny episodes are still going to sort of have their darknesses, yeah, in them. Um, in Angel, whereas with Buffy, you do get like the lighter episodes where there isn't really much darkness at all, like with mm -hmm. Beer Bad or whatever, you know, like right, you know, it um, and and some better episodes as well, <laughs> and better, better episodes than Beer Bad, um. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, you're right. There is there is a point here where that's very, I mean, the whole, you know, 
stringing up and making it look like suicide and, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, and even how out of it Cordy gets. I th- That's more, I mean, definitely the, like, the violence of, like, the faked suicide, you know, was part of that. But even more so, I think, how completely she falls apart, you know, which is understandable. I mean, if you were just sort of, you know, almost hanged, you know, if you can't freak out, then when can you, you know, so I don't, you know, really blame her for that necessarily. But, you know, to have the character who kind of is, you know, if anyone is self-confident and always sort of, you know, knows themselves in the face of supernatural danger and, you know, always is, you know, funny, even if it's like, it might be mean-spirited humor, but it's always humorous when Cordy's around, right? And so to have her completely lose all of that, you know, sense of self and humor and confidence and self-worth and all these things and just completely end up in, like, a puddle, you know? Mm-hmm. Even with Angel, like, bullying her, you know, like, yelling at her to get her act together, um, you know... It takes her a long time, and it takes a lot of provocation from the ghost to kind of whip her back into shape. So, you know. I mean, I think we've seen Cordy emotionally affected. It's not like she's totally impervious. You know, we saw her get upset, you know, at at what happened with Xander and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she's been totally static, but, like, I wasn't expecting to have such a kind of, uh, I guess, uncomfortable probing into her weaknesses as much as this episode sort of yeah. took us on. Well, and, and right. And so we, and we've talked a little bit about, you know, her sort of lying and keeping an upper, you know, stiff lip, you know, at the fact yeah. that she can't get any acting jobs, but like, this is really the first time where we really truly see how much it's affecting her. To yeah. not sort of be able to, quote, make it on her own kind of thing. Um, and the avoiding of, like, her friend and stuff. Yeah. You know, where whereas in high school in Sunnydale, like, that was what she was all about, was being with her friends. And, and you know, but, I mean, we do get the episode where she sort of turns her back on her friends, you know, too, when she decides to go with Xander. But, like... They're yeah. they're all sort of still there in the background. Like we still get like the references to like, especially after she and Xander break up. Like, you right, know, she right. she goes back and like has her friends back around her again. So there, you know, just the fact that she's like shunning and ignoring one of her friends, and and realizing that it's yeah. not because of her friend, but it's because of how she feels about herself that, um, you know, sort of sort of drives the episode in a way. Yeah, yeah, and you get kind of uh, going through just how, just so, like, we don't dismiss her as, like, totally shallow. You know, we you get, like, how mm-hmm. uh, disgusting the apartment is. You know, like, right. we kind of we knew it was cheap and messy and stuff, but, like, you get, like, you know, you kind of realize how stoic she is when, when you see, like, there's, like, brown liquid spurting out of the uh, faucet and cockroaches, and... When that happens, she's kind of like, at first, it's kind of like, well, of course. Like, she's actually gotten 
kind of used, used to living to it, like yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And it's not until it's completely infested that she, you know, gives in and tries to call Doyle. Um, yeah. Um, so. I did, I did one just while we're talking about like her friends and stuff, I did want to mention, so there's a reference to the Cordettes, uh-huh. um, which is actually, they've never used that term before. Oh. Um, I thought, I thought they had, but I must have, no, it retroactively assuming <laughs> so, sort of it's actually sort of a little piece of trivia that um, in it never appears like in Buffy, you know, as as filmed. Um, but it's actually a term that does get used in like the scripts and stuff. So like it's oh, it's one okay. of those things where like um, I like I think there were, you know, they're like worth shots that got um you know, like, got cut or whatever, or, like, you know, it's maybe used in, like, the description, like, Cordy is with her cordettes and blah, blah, blah. Right, Like, right. that kind of thing. But right. it never... So, like, um, it's one of those things where, like, when Angel says it, it's like... Like, okay, yeah, like like you were saying, like, I, I know what they're talking about, obviously. I know what he means. But, like, yeah, yeah. But, like, it's never actually used... Uh, and I don't think they ever used it in Angel again, because they're That's only referring funny. to, you know, her high school group, um, so which doesn't really come into play. So it's like... One of those things where it's just, yeah, just kind of a weird reference. and uh, But it is sort of canonical or whatever. Like, they do use it in the scripts and stuff. It just never kind of made it into the film version. Right, uh, right. For whatever reason. Yeah, um, and I like his explanation about they're like the Soviet secret police if they cared a lot about shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so like... Okay, so she can't stand where it is. I love. She goes to Angel. Not that you're a last resort. It's just I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. So here, <laughs> oh, okay. literally, that's pretty yeah. much the definition of a yeah. last resort. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah, and of course, I mean, we'll talk about Doyle a little bit later, but of course, his luck would be that she calls him and he's stuck, like dealing with like a demon bounty hunter, and he misses the call. You know, it's like yeah, that's yeah. the way this is gonna go. Yeah. Um, well, not so only she ends up with with the with the handsome brooding, you know, dark, you know, vampire instead, you know, right. it's just right. typical. And, and he comes in the next morning. I love that whole, cause I mean, yeah. you, you just see it developing and you're like, Oh God, yeah. what's yeah. he going to think? And... Everyone's in their robes and, you know, bicker. And of course, you know, with angels sort of like fastidious enough that of course they're bickering over the kinds of like, you know, who got peanut butter in the bed and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, the reference is to the bed, but really it's because, like, you know, Angel can't stand that there's any mess or there's, like, food around or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's really a joke about, like, them being an odd couple, like, mm-hmm. of, like, you know, super clean, uh, straight-laced Angel and, like, slob Cordy, who's all over the place. But, right. like, it looks like a lover's spat when <laughs> yeah. when Doyle comes in. Well, and right, and and the whole the reference to like, you know, he's like, oh man, you knew I liked her. Like you've been keeping this from me, like right. the fact that you two have been together or whatever. So yeah, there's there's a bit of humor there, and and a bit of humor in just sort of all the stuff that goes on, right? So Cordy putting out like all her trophies and her yeah. diploma and stuff, uh, pulling, pulling up the linoleum just to see if there's hardwood underneath. And then of course, wanting to know how one might go about sticking the linoleum back to the floor, you know, just in case it curled up somewhere for some odd reason. Um, 
that kind yeah. of stuff. And but... then, like, it doesn't even occur to her until she's already, like, wrecked the floor that, oh, yeah. crap, how am I going to get this back? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, again, like, like you were saying with, like, Straight Lace Angel, it's just, like, it's driving him nuts. But, like, yeah. at the same time, interesting, because you get, like, and, and I mean, I realize, like, this is obviously for the show and, and whatnot, but, like, you don't feel like Angel and Cordy maybe have been working together that long that, like, I don't know that, like, how many words have they ever said to each other before this series, right? Like, right. you know, I... I, I <laughs> excuse me like angel's sort of explanation of her is like oh yeah you know i knew her pretty well back in the day in Sunnydale, but like that's not actually that true like no i i kind of feel like he probably knew more about what buffy told him about her (laughs) exactly exactly so like you kind of have to have that kind of going back in your mind well Um, and the only real times of them interacting that i can think of and i'm gonna forget what episodes it's in but like before Cordy knew that he was a vampire. Mm. You got a little bit of, uh, you know, flirtation, flirtation, some flirtation because he was like, you know, the the good looking one. And of course it's like rival Buffy's, you know, interest. So like, there's some like, you know, (laughs) there's some rivalry uh... there and everything. Right, she calls him, but, like, a cuddly, like, bunny vampire, right? Like, isn't right. it? Isn't like, it, she like... doesn't really believe, you know. But, like, once she finds out that he is a vampire, I can't think of them having that much personal interaction. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe as, like, part of the Scooby group, I guess. Right, right, exactly. Um, no, but, yeah, I mean, I, I that's kind of how I would... Uh, put it down is more towards Angel knows her reputation maybe a little bit better than he knows Corey mm-hmm. personally. Sure, um, and I and I think that so like knowing that from a story perspective and going into it, obviously then you know that creates the the sort of dramatic irony of Doyle coming in because we know like there's absolutely nothing between right. Cordy and Angel, and so like you know seeing that and seeing Doyle and it's just like. Like, you get that sort of feeling, too, like, when you're, like, with a group of friends sometimes or whatever. Like, you know, it, there's, yeah, like, oh, I thought so-and-so were together. Oh, no, no, they're not together. They just, I don't know, yeah, happen yeah. to be talking at a party or something that you were at. And so, right, like, you know, that sort of it, thing it, happens. It, it, whether intentionally or probably not intentionally, but Angel's giving the impression that he knows Cordy way better than he really does. And, and that they're, you know, closer than they really are. You know, that they've barely you know spent any time together you know alone or as friends or whatever but Mm -hmm. you know from Doyle's perspective like Angel has known her forever and he knows every last (laughs) thing about her and you know right um so he wants like the inside dirt and Angel like doesn't really have any (laughs) yeah um and there I like the reference to the burn diploma (laughs) yeah yeah it was a rough ceremony yeah (laughs) um so, uh, so with court, so like the, okay. So, I mean, they go apartment hunting and of course there's lots of like skeevy and weird people. Yeah. And, um, in my own, I'm glad I haven't sort of run into that because I'm also like currently apartment hunting. So like, yeah. there's like, I haven't come into, of course, also me being, you know, a larger white man, probably I don't deal with the same stuff that Cordy would have to, but, um, uh, no, no Just cults a, yet. Yeah, no cults, no skeevy guys in the apartment across the way. Yeah, you yeah. know, 
saying he'll look out for me and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can sleep. You can rest real easy. Yeah. I'm right across the hall. Exactly. Um, Great, thanks. And and then, of course, finding this perfect, perfect thing. I love that, like, right away, she's like, okay, what's wrong with it? Exactly, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's got to be something wrong with this because it's way too perfect for yeah. way too good a price. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Um, uh, sorry, God. Well, uh, I the thing which along that vein, which I like even better is, um, as soon as she said she didn't like the wall, I thought, okay, what's in the wall? And then like, you see the, the ghost, the, the face kind of push through. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I knew it because it's exactly that thing of, she notices that there's vampires because like, it's a heavily draped room, you know, or like, right, right, right. <laughs> or like, you know, being able to tell someone by the way they dress or whatever, like that's totally, you know, and at the end she kind of confirms, like, I knew I didn't like that wall. Like there's mm -hmm. something about it that now maybe for fashion reasons or whatever, but like it was something she had like a sixth sense, you know, mm -hmm. via her, you know, interest in decorating that like just told her, you're going to want to yeah. take down that wall. <laughs> there's, there's something not right with this wall. I don't know right. what it like, is. She doesn't know. I don't like she knows it. there's something must be wrong with the apartment. And something about that wall sort of speaks to her, you know. So, But I think I'm getting to know Cordy well enough that I kind of, I wasn't sure what was wrong with the wall. But when she said she wanted to take it down, mm -hmm. I thought, there's going to be something weird about that wall. So I was kind of happy to see that, like, yeah. actually, um, you know, go forward. I also really like her response of, you know, the the thing that makes the apartment perfect is that there's a flaw that she can yeah. fix to make it yeah. perfect. <laughs> like, exactly. like that's her idea. Like, if there wasn't something wrong with it that she could actually correct, it yeah. wouldn't it wouldn't be perfect. Be even though it was perfect, it kind of like this paradoxical right sort of because idea. making it her own and working on like improving and decorating is part of the fun. You yeah. know, so if it was all perfect, she wouldn't be able to sort of put her own stamp on it. Mm -hmm. um, Which is so, kind of what the story ends up being about, is Cordy kind of getting her life back, I guess, and getting her own sense of confidence and self and her own identity and everything. So yeah, it kind of goes that, like, she wouldn't just find a perfect apartment, but she does have to fix it and make it her own, you know, it kind of works with that. Yeah. And so, and actually we didn't really talk about the title, um, but I noticed that you, you picked out, I mean, obviously the, the reference to the E.M. Forster novel yeah. and, and there sort of being that idea of the, yeah, growing into your own and, and yeah. finding a place that really is right for you and a place metaphorically and physically <laughs> like, you yeah. know, literally, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but one, one thing I, I noted in your notes, um, not, I don't always read through them, but every now and then something catches my eye and yeah. is you ask about the abbreviation. Yeah. Um, did you, yeah. like, what's your thought on that? Did you have any, I don't know that I have any great insight. I just was curious what, no, not really. I just, just, it seemed unnecessary so therefore interesting like like i couldn't really think of an obvious reason why so it kind of made me realize why they did it you know mm -hmm. um so i don't know do you have any theories about that 
Not really. I guess the only thing that I always sort of took as why they did it this way, and I could totally be wrong, is is that maybe they were trying to get like the um, lingo of like a newspaper ad. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that that's the actual reason. That's just sort of the way I've always that interpreted it. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I'd be surprised if that wasn't it. Um, yeah, because if you're doing like a, a, like an ad, yeah, like an ad, and you're kind of saving space and everything, and yeah, right, and and also, so sort of the thing is like now you don't necessarily have those ads anymore. I mean, you get newspapers, right? And, and maybe stuff, that's so, why it didn't like, really jump to my mind. Yeah, there, yeah. There's less of a, a, you know, that's like now you go onto like I don't know Craigslist or something, right? right so it's right. it's really more. Yeah. It's something where, yeah, late 90s, this makes sense, but right, not right. necessarily in, Today, uh, right. you know, to, 2014. Right. So, um, that's... That's, I, that sounds right to me. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it, it's the thing that makes most sense to me, but again, I don't have, like, that's just sort of my own thought. I, have, I don't think I've read that anywhere, so, mm -hmm. you know... Yeah. It is what it is. No, I think that's probably right. Um, the, uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I've actually never read the Forrester novel, so I don't, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I sort of know broadly what it's about, but, like, since I've never read it, um, can't really yeah, say. Yeah, I, like, I, mean, I, I did in college, but I don't, I don't know that there are any real specific links i think just more what you were saying about it being kind of like about a young woman transitioning from you know adolescence into adulthood and kind of that period of you know defining your own independence and identity and everything so that's mm -hmm. kind of broadly what I, the connection i would make you know mm -hmm. it's more about cordy striking out on her own and being independent and having to sort of carve her own way in the world and, um, mm -hmm. and, and your home and having, you know, a room with a view are sort of part of that, you know, of, of making a place for yourself and, uh, and especially something with a view that has, you know, it gives you sort of horizons and, you know, uh, yeah. it's sort of picturesque and everything. Mm -hmm. um, that it's not some crappy hole. It's it's a place that you belong in and enjoy and everything. Sure, sure. I like. But that... it is good that she's rent controlled because places like that can be hard to get. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, sounds like you have some experience. With yeah, okay. seriously. <laughs> As well. Um, I, I I might I might. Uh, I think I I could handle ghost phantom Dennis if. Uh, if, a, if an apartment like that came along. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe um, not Maud, but Dennis is a Dennis is a price worth paying, I think. Uh, I, I like that she uses her Sunnydale heritage to, you know, sort of say, yeah. to try to, like, say, you're not scaring me, but obviously it does scare her. And, yeah, and yeah. more more than scare, it, you know, physically attacks her and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Maud, Maud, Maud the ghost does. Um and uh 
but yeah, there are some sort of funny moments there. But yeah, like you said, like it does get kind of dark there where, you know, especially when they start looking into like the, the suicides where Angel goes to Kate, we get a we get another sort of moment with her. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, another little team up with Kate there. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, I don't know why I sort of hummed significantly at that but uh the uh yeah so cordy sort of like trying to deal with it on her own right like i'm not scared i'm from sunnydale or whatever and um but she can't like you know we we get back to like now she has to sort of go back and and uh we get the oh although i guess she's not really like because it's not until Angel and Doyle really come over and see that the place is haunted, right? Like, she doesn't yeah. really kind of, like, actively seek help, but, right. but kind of has to be forced into getting help. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, she's kind of, like, in denial because she doesn't want to leave the yeah. apartment. So it's sort of like, I, th- I guess she's sort of worried that if the others find out about this ghost, that she'll have to give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that kind of you know, scene of her, you know, not very successfully trying to hide the fact that it's haunted, you know, and, like, Mm -hmm. catching knives as they're thrown and, like, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, yeah. But... Uh, But, so, I guess, okay, and then it gets dark and she's sobbing and blah, blah, blah. Um, What do you think about, like, the whole, like... Maud calling her a bitch and that that's what sort of snaps her out of it. Uh, well, I mean, I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, I guess sort of it's, you know, whether or not being a bitch is something to be proud of. I think it's a moment of Cordy kind of remembering that, you know, this isn't normally how she reacts, you know, that that she's had a scare, yeah, but, you know, the Cordy who, you know, we knew uh, always had something to say and always stood up for herself, you know, and always was sort of, you know, able to sort of stand down, no matter how, like, ridiculously supernatural, you know, she always had her kind of, like, very in her own way, kind of ordinary sense of, like, well, you know, I'm the prom queen, so it doesn't really matter who you are because I'm better than you. You know, that kind of, like, her own sort of, like, arrogance is sort of mundane in a way, and she can kind of, like, stand up to anything because Mm. who cares? She's the prom queen. So, (laughs) like, I'm kind of thinking of, like, homecoming, of, like, yeah, you know, the, the Slayer's bad, but, you know... I'm really bad, you know, and, right, and right, just, right. she stares down the bad guy through sheer force of will and personality and stuff. So I guess I took it as that, like that, that being called the bitch is the reminder of who, you know, who, what her reputation is, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that, that means that she doesn't have to listen to what Maud says, that she can kind of take she doesn't take crap from anyone, I guess, like she says. Mm. So that's how I read it, but I'm open to 
other readings, if you were, I don't know if criticism has said anything else. Um, I could see, I, I can, I can, I know the term bitch can always be a contentious one, you know, that that's one of those terms that there's controversy about how much to embrace that, you know, from like a feminist standpoint, like, you know, yeah. whether, that whether that's a term which is, you know, worth sort of reclaiming, you know, and kind of using ironically or confidently and sort of, you know, like I know women who kind of will use that term about themselves in like a proud way. And then there are people who find that the most offensive word, you know, mm. you can yep. call a woman. And I, so that's a, I think that's something that's open for debate, definitely. And I could see like if, if people found that like, you know, maybe troubling that Cordy kind of owns that word at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I don't know any particular like criticisms of that use. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tim Minear has said it's, this episode is pretty much about Cordy gaining her and her bitch, which I think, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, I don't think that's a great yeah. insight. <laughs> uh, no, not, I mean, Tim Minear's great, but, you know, <laughs> he's sort of stating the obvious there. Yeah, so, yeah. um, no, I think you're right. I, I always do have that moment though of like, Ooh, like she calls her a bitch. And then Cordy's like, well, I am a bitch. And so is that, I mean, there, there is that, you know, she's sort of taking it on because, you know, she, she sort of self identifies with bitch in that sense being, uh, you know, someone who, for her is strong and doesn't take crap from anyone. So, yeah. So, you know, I guess that is, you know, it's more about just what she is, how she's using the term versus how Maud is using the term. Right. 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 Um, and, and so, yeah, I was just, yeah, curious. I, mean, I was just curious how you. Maud's definitely using it in the sense of like, you know, a weakling of like, you're, you'll do whatever I tell you because mm -hmm. you know, you're no good, you know, whereas Cordy, maybe in a more modern sense, you know, maybe Maud is using it in a more uh, antiquated sense, you know, from the, you know, 40s or 50s or something. And whereas Cordy's taking that as like, uh, you know, I guess something more positive, but, but it is like a, it's always tricky with that word, because I think it gets into issues of, um, uh, strong women in quotes and kind of, you know, why is it that assertive, confident women who don't mm -hmm. take crap from people are automatically bitches? You know, that, that right. the, the conflation right. of those two ideas that there's something, yeah, it's good for Cordy to be strong and independent, but why is that necessarily the same thing as being, you know, a bitch with all the other negative connotations that come along with it that mm -hmm. like if you're going to stand up for yourself then you have to assume this other baggage of what being a strong woman means you know right there's no real word for there's no real word for like a strong confident man that works quite a bit in that same way you know yeah there's there's like an inherently negative aspect to the word which is i think why people get right. a little uh touchy about it and understandably um so yeah yeah but yeah. i mean the the part actually my favorite part of that was 
the very simple statement of Angel saying, oh, you took care of it. And she's like, yeah, well, she pissed me off. Like, that really <laughs> just what it boils down to is that she finally got so annoyed that she just was like, you know what? I have to just take care of this. And it wasn't, it's not even so much about like, you know, remembering any particular like, or having any sort of like particularly deep, you know, inner revelation. It's more just about like, she just got so friggin' annoyed at this ghost that she just took care of it. You know, yeah. she just had enough. Right. Um, That was the part that kind of, made me laugh the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, yeah, the whole, so, okay, so, you know, she sort of, it's that assertiveness, right, that sort of drives Maud away, and then she beats through the wall, and you find out that there's, you know, this corpse on the other side, and, and Dennis takes care of, Maud in some weird sort of supernatural way. Right. Um, and now he's the one haunting uh, the apartment. And yeah. in a way, he kind of becomes Cordy's bitch in that other sense of the term, right? Like you right. were talking about, like the more the submissive yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sense. Um, and I, 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 I mean, so, okay, so finally, right, she's on the phone with her friend and sort of talking through all of the, uh, you know, all of the stuff that happens, but, uh, we get the, the idea to that. Um, yeah. Like, like Phantom Dennis is now sort of like testing his boundaries and Cordy is not having any of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, when I'm on the phone, that means quiet time and that kind of thing. Like, yeah. it's very, very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And her line about like, I, yeah, I have a roommate, but I don't really see him. It's fine. Um, it's funny. I don't, I don't expect to see Phantom Dennis again, but it kind of makes me happy to think that he just stays in that apartment and hangs out with Cordy, like, mm-hmm. you know, for as long as she lives there. Like, there's just this ghost that wanders around. Yeah. Um. Uh. And Cordy's friend, Ara, uh, I think actually does appear in a few Buffy episodes. Like, I think she's just one of the group okay. of... of girls that she hangs out with but never like honestly i couldn't even picture her so yeah not really like i don't even know that she's ever really mentioned again even an angel either so right not that that's extremely important but um kind of like because harmony is the one we sort of know but now harmony is a vampire right, and right, but not keeping really in touch now, with yeah, yeah. with cordy so it's like all right who else? Uh, Aura. Okay. She was one of them in the group. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not necessarily neither here nor there. Just kind of to round that out. Um, yeah. So, all right. So having sort of talked um, through Cordy or do you, did you have more? Well, one other thing, which then I think kind of leads me into having some things to say about Angel and Doyle too, I think, um, is her, uh, moment of explaining why, you know, her, that, that living in a crappy apartment and not getting any jobs is, she sees that as punishment, you know, for the way that she mm. was. Yes, um, yes. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, kind of two things, like one, that being the kind of setup for the end where actually 
it's not so much about her apologizing for the way she was. It's just standing up and, you know, she, like, apologizing doesn't really get her anywhere. She has to kind of tell the ghost off at the end. So it's sort mm-hmm. of a, you know, a setup that doesn't really get a payoff. You know, that she doesn't really... Because the whole point of the end is that she's back, you know, the bitch is back. It's back to the same old Cordy. So it's not about Cordy repenting for her own ways as much as, like, reclaiming them at the end, yeah. I guess. Um, and, and she's back on the right, phone being talking herself about... Or, yeah, and yeah. talking about, like, what people are wearing and, you know, uh, you know, laughing at them and stuff. Um, but I like the way that <laughs> she kind of taps into the angel theme without realizing it, you know, that she talks about, like, if I couldn't be that bad if I could live in a place like that. It's just like you, and he says, you're looking for redemption. And she's like, well, you know, I'm in because you had that mansion. You know, she's just thinking right, about, right. <laughs> you know, well, you used to live in a nice place, and then you got, you had to leave and everything. But Angel sort of, you know, seeing her and like i think she is saying she is looking for redemption it's just that she doesn't really realize that that's what she's saying um but angel picks up on it because that's his whole reason for being you know at this point so yeah yeah and so i guess that brings up the question of like i mean yeah she did act nasty in high school but also like there's a sense of what you do in high school doesn't really matter once high school's done. You right. know what I mean? Like, right. like, so the reason that she's not getting jobs really doesn't have anything to do with how right. she acted in high school. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think that, that, that while you're right, I think there's also a sense in which this is about not really, like she's not really looking for redemption because she doesn't really have anything to be redeemed for from Mm -hmm. uh even even though she might have treated people nasty at one time or another kind of we all do that we've seen buffy do it we've seen xander and willow you know to different extents but you know still act in certain ways and and i think that's also part of like the growing up theme is realizing that you you don't like you just you can only move forward right you can't move backward and if you're if you're sort of looking at everything as a punishment for past sins, then you're not paying enough attention to what's happening now and what needs to happen in the future. So yeah. I think I think there's some stuff there, you know, to kind of, like, at the end, like, that's where she's like, wait a minute, no, I, I am a bitch. Like, it's not about having the right friends or whatever, you know, because um, Maud's sort of whispering, not whispering, but yelling at her, like, you have no friends, they all left you and whatever. And Cordy's like, yeah. you know what? I've been the one to leave my friends. Like, this right, is, right. like, I'm, here's your favorite phrase, you know, strong, you know, like, this is, yeah, yeah. this is, this is me being me. Like, I, I don't live my life for other people. I live my life for me. And so, so I do think that even though, I think you're right that there are definitely undertones of, you know, like the angel broad theme of redemption there. Like Mm -hmm. there's also, I think even in this episode, a bit of the, actually there's not anything truly to be redeemed from because it's just Cordy being Cordy and that's who she is. And if people can't deal with that, then that's not her problem. Yeah. Uh, And I think, I think the episode kind of does embrace that at the end because it's not about, um, 
she doesn't kind of win the day by like like all the apologizing and the and the pleading and the begging. She just, you know, gets up and orders the ghost to leave and she obeys, you know. Yeah. Um and so and and then goes right back to being on the phone, you know, doing her kind of courty thing. So I think definitely the episode kind of confirms that. That it's not really this isn't like a hug and grow and learn episode really. It's more about reclaiming her courtiness rather than like repenting for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but I still wonder and maybe redemption is like you know, I don't think she's you know sinned in the way that Angelus did, you know, or potentially that, you know, Doyle did, that they have these dark pasts that they're sort of running from. I don't think she is in that same way, but I still think there's, I, I'm still interested to see in what way she fits into that kind of redemption arc. Um, Cause potentially, sure. even if she hasn't sort of, you know, gone to that like dark a place, you know, you're still taking the kind of like character that's not always the easiest for people to like or get along with, you know? And so I wonder if, you know, uh, you know, she might fit into that theme in a slightly different way, but maybe still find her own way to sort of fit into it. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and I... just the fact that like she, I mean, maybe only when she has, you know, a really bad apartment and no prospects, but at least then she has some sense of, you know, maybe feeling guilt about, you know, the way she's treated people, you know, that there's some sense of her that's, you know. Yeah, I I would say, yeah, let's keep an eye on that. Because, I, I mean, I definitely don't mean to imply that there won't be any growth or change in Cordy's character over the course of the series. There, I, I yeah. mean, it would be a yeah an interesting series, be, yeah, yeah. you know, if, if there wasn't. So, you know, let's definitely keep an eye on that. And I don't mean to imply either that she didn't do things in high school that aren't repent worthy. But clearly, like you said, clearly they're not on the level of Angelus. And so, you know, I think there's there's sort of in this one, at least it's more like. It's the pressure coming from the outside and the sort of the reading into, you know, oh, if I'm not getting the right parts then that means i did something wrong like right maybe you're just not a very good actress you know like yeah or maybe or maybe it's just luck i mean there are good talented people who are doing all the right things but don't get that lucky break no but Uh, it is that kind of putting it on like a higher cosmic power like like if if my apartment sucks and i can't get any work it's because you know god or fate or something is punishing me you know not like not the kind of like by the end i think she has to kind of like take responsibility and like angel says like you know just get off your ass and do something you know and it's not really till the end that she takes control yeah so i think that is the victory it's not repenting about oh i'm sorry i did this it's more about you know what i'm in control of my own decisions and and i'm gonna do what i want to do and there's also that idea that acting confident and being confident is, you know, more likely things, yeah. to help you. Well, I, I was going to say, no, that actually they're, they're the things that help you succeed, right? It's not, 
like well, even right. just 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 appearing confident, even if you don't necessarily feel confident, but also the feeling of confidence, like, you know, confident people are the ones who succeed because they look and feel confident. And so people, you know, give them things and right. help them along. So, you know, yeah, like her own, her own sense of like self-flagellation might be holding her back from, right. from actually taking control and changing right. her life and turning it around and everything. Right. So, um, We've left 13 minutes to talk about Doyle and Angel. Okay. Um, and th- anything else we want? Well, I guess sort of with Cordy, anything you want to say about Maude and Dennis? I kind of feel like they're like, you know, Guido and, and Isabella. Right. Like, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say. I mean, Maude's pretty creepy. She's a nasty, sure. nasty old ghost. And it's kind of, it's kind of a... people in a pretty uh, awful way, so... I, I I always have thought of this as sort of like a reverse uh, Norman Bates situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, with with it's the mother who keeps the corpse in the house rather than the other way around. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if that's intentional or not. I also get I also like sort of the allusion to the um, the cask of Amontillado uh, with the yeah. walling him up while he's still alive, like, you know, behind right, right. the bricks and stuff. Um but other than that, I, I mean, there's some sort of loose illusions. I don't know that there's a lot to say about either one. Yeah. Um, other than that now, like, I mean, this won't be the last time we see or hear about Phantom Dennis. He doesn't become, like, a huge character or whatever. But, like, uh-huh. you kind of get these reminder moments every now and then that he's sort of, you know, a part of Cordy's life. Oh, <laughs> as, I, I like as that. I, I wasn't expecting yeah. to see any reference to him again. So I, oh, no, you definitely do. I'll so. look forward to that. Um, and, and I don't, I don't mean that in the way of, I mean, there's no spoiler there. Like I won't tell you no, when no. or how he comes in, but, um, you do. Yeah. This isn't like the last They're time. They're not just going to like drop him completely. I, I absolutely like that. They kind of keep it as, as you know, a lighter sort of running gag type of thing. So. Yeah. That's just, that's just Cordy's roommate. Don't worry about yeah. him. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, okay. So I, I feel like Doyle, we probably want to talk about because, yeah. He he's still he's like his his feelings and desires to get to know Cordy better are sort of continuing to wax. Uh so Yeah, but he keeps getting sort of frustrated. Like yeah. like we said, like of course he misses the call, so she ends up, you know well, she sort of shoots him down when he makes offers, like, you know, you could come to my place, but then when she actually does call him you know, he's distracted by these demons who are out for him and everything. Yeah. Um, Doyle has his demons for sure. Yes, he sure does. So, I mean, I guess um, just that we're getting like the, not really, well, I guess a little bit more detail. We're getting kind of the, the increased tease about he has some sort of backstory and, and a past of his own that he's running from. Mm. Um, and that kind of like Angel and Cordy in their own different ways, he kind of chooses that self-flagellation in a way, you know, um, that, you know, he kind of says like he lives like this because it, uh, keeps your expectations from getting too high, you know, which kind of is his own admitting that he like sabotages his own happiness, really like that he lives in a way which is he knows is like 
unsatisfying and dangerous and, uh, you know, unhealthy and all these things. But I guess for whatever reason, that's the way he chooses to live. Um, although I don't know, maybe he has no choice and he's stuck with it. So I guess we just don't know enough yet. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think you get the sense of both, right? Cause like Angel's like, why do you choose to live this way? And he's like, well, why can't I? But then you also get this sense of like, he's stuck in sort of a perpetual wheel of badness, right? Like, like that yeah. there's, and he even sort of describes it that way, right? It's like, well, you know, I have debts and there are people who owe me. And so there's like this, I do favors and then favors get done for me. Like you just right. get this feeling like, yeah, it's this sort of vicious cycle that he's in that, yeah. you know, he's always robbing Peter to pay Paul. To right. Pay, exactly. To pay Mary, to pay, you know, oh yeah, whatever. Like there's, there's just all these different things sort of going on with him. And like, on the one hand, like there's, because this comes up in like real life too. It's like, well, if only so-and-so would do this, then everything would be fine and they would be living the way that I think they should be living. Right. And, and you kind of get that sense from Angel, like, why can't you live a better way? Like a way that I live, which is stoic and brooding and, you know, but, but clean. And I keep, you know, things compartmented and, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So, but that's not, how Doyle is. Doyle just is kind of going from one thing to the next. And well, and you he... also get the sense that that's easy for Angel to say, but Angel's much more capable of fighting back than Doyle is. You know, yeah. Doyle's this kind of scrappy little guy. Like, you know, he can't necessarily stand up to these demons on his own. Yeah. So I agree with that. I think the other part of it too, is that like, we're meant to see Doyle as like objectively, the age that he looks, you know, like in his late twenties, maybe early Mm thirties, like, whereas angel is hundreds of years old too. Right. Right. So like, that's the advice of an older person. Well, all you got to do is, you know, do, you know, just get your act together, be disciplined and get your act together. So like, I think, I think it works on both of those levels that, that, you know, for angel, he's had a lot, he's, I mean, Whistler helped whip him into shape. So, you know, and that was after a hundred years of having a soul and not doing so well on his own. You know what I mean? Like we forget that. And Angel kind of forgets that in this moment of saying to Doyle, well, why can't you live, you know, in a better way? Well, you know, Doyle's only been at it for, you know, 30 ish years. Right. While, while you, you know, have had literally hundreds of years uh, you know, to get your act together. So let's, yeah, let's well, maybe take is, a step back. It is easier said than done when you have, you know, hitmen breaking into your apartment out for your head. Right. You know, kind of difficult to just live a better way when, you yeah, know, yeah. The, when that's going on. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would point back to is, you know, Angel, you know, Angel's out for his own redemption, but we, we've sort of gotten hints that Doyle has his moments of redemption too right and he even says something like almost verbatim like that like you know we all have things that we need to pay for you know that there's a reason why he's the one getting these visions and that might have something to do with mm-hmm. why he's uh you know why he's getting them is because he has things that he's paying for as well yeah which may be tied into all of this other stuff so it may not again like it might be that this is all sort of excuse me, ancillary 
but it also might be well connected and not so ancillary. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say and, and, and we can sort of keep our eyes out and, and you even get at the end angel sort of explicitly saying to him, you know, one of these days you're going to have to tell me what your background is and what your story is. Maybe not today, but like soon you, yeah. you'll need to like uncover what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. And, um, that connection too about, uh, the past, she don't let you go. Does she? Um, and you know, clearly that has resonance for angel, you know, in this episode, it kind of has resonance for Cordy, you know, kind of both, yeah. Uh, you know, confronting her own past, but also kind of reclaiming it, I guess. And then, um, mm. you know, yeah. with with Maude and Dennis, you know, that that past is here haunting the apartment and everything. That um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice little summary of the episode. I think that that you know the past, and of course it's a she. She don't let you go. So you think of Maude. You know that it is this like nasty <laughs> this nasty thing which hangs around your apartment and messes messes everything up like you know and no matter how much she might want to put it behind him yeah uh that is easier said than done and she doesn't always let you go sometimes you have to confront it head on so um yeah um the other thing i would point out too is like like there there's that focus on you know doyle's past being a bad thing that sort of haunts him but there's also a sense in which his past uh, is quite helpful to them throughout the episode because he has a guy for everything, right? Right, exactly, and right. Because so, he can get the apartment, he can get the bile, he can get like everything else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, so like there are these, you know, as much as like his connections might turn sour from time to time, there's also the idea that he's actually out there making relationships and doing. So in a way that is actually helpful to them, but that doesn't like Angel doesn't really focus on that. And even when it's brought up, you know, like by Cordy, it's like, oh, great. You know, is this another one of Doyle's guys? Like, you know, but actually Doyle's guys are coming through in the long run. Maybe. Yeah. okay, there was a problem with the apartment, but that's not necessarily the guy's fault. He's just the one who let you know that this apartment was available, (laughs) Um, you know, so like. There is sort of that sense, too, that, like, maybe, yeah, maybe Angel's looking at it a little too cleanly. Like, maybe there's uh, some other oblique angles at, you know, the stuff that Doyle's doing that may be sketchy, may be difficult at times and may cause him trouble, but also may, in the balance, you know, sort of work out better in the long run. Yeah, and even Doyle kind of says, like, uh, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Like, you know, even when I do tell you the past, you know, it's not, you know, maybe we are going to get some sort of really, you know, troubled or dark past, but that doesn't necessarily mean that his whole life has been defined by that, you know, that there, that there are good things in his past. And like you said, maybe good ways, even good things about the way he lives as well. Like you need, if you're going to be like, a private detective. You need a guy like that, you know, who has like all these like really weird connections and can yeah, give yeah. you like information that you can't get anywhere else. Like, yeah, you know, well, those and, people are necessary. And as much trouble as Cordy's apartment 
comes through, like you have to think about what he says there too. He goes, you know, he calls Cordy, you know, one of the bright spots. And he says, you know, she loves that new place so much. She's going to be grateful for a long, long time. And in the end, she does love the apartment, you know, once it's sort of exercised and, and, you know, now she has Phantom Dennis, you know, kind of there at her beck and call and she's able to talk to her friends and she's feeling better and confident about herself. Like, right. He, he's kind of right. As much crap as they had to go through to get there. Like in the end, things are better now. Right. right. Uh, so, you know, say what you will, even if he's still living in his same crappy spot, there is going to be a level of Cordy remembering, I, you know, I'm not giving anything away or whatever, but I think there will be a level of Cordy remembering that, that this is kind of Doyle's doing, you know, that got her into this place. So, you know, ultimately that's a good thing. Um, any, any final thoughts on Doyle? And then we should probably mention a few things about Angel, even though we're over time here. No, we can uh, finish up with Angel, I think. Um, we of, course, talk- of course, Angel Sorry. has moose. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have moose? Yes. Oh, of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> Stupid question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And then, yeah. and then, and then again, like the the peanut butter and the and the reason there's a wet towel in my leather chair. Like, right. I like well, making fun of Angel. It's fun to make fun of him because Angel's so serious all the time. It's good to have some fun with Angel. He he is, but but you also like you get more of this like I'm a funny guy type yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. in this one. Yeah, like yeah. like he's you know like when he's talking to Doyle about like you know okay you had these demons who are trying to kill you, but I have a more serious problem. Yeah, Cordelia needs an apartment yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I cannot yeah. stand having her around here. Right, he kind of talks about <laughs> it at the same level as he talks about like really serious demon yeah. stuff. Like they're equal threats in his eyes. Cordy's apartment and this like demon headhunter. <laughs> um, and and the thoughtfulness of bringing a cactus to yeah. her yeah, as like a cactus, housewarming yeah. gift. Um, and and just even oh, so like did you like the uh, preemptive invitation? Uh, gag that right, was right. kind of funny um, and I like I like the meta moment of Cordy saying what I didn't even have a place then these rules are getting all screwed up it's like yeah we know we're clearly like retconning here like Playing this is fast and loose with the vampire rules yeah. yeah but but at the same time like it's kind of funny it's like oh okay well actually that does kind of make sense if you if you say you're invited over whenever I get a place like yeah by whatever mystical rules that does seem like an invitation like right. if if any normal person came over after having that be said to them like you wouldn't think twice of it so right, you know right. uh it is it is kind of funny though like he just steps in and she's like wait what's going on right now? <laughs> uh, yeah and he's but, so nonchalant about it you said i was invited yeah. over yeah and like you, you it, and I don't know that they ever really get into like the mechanism. Like if, if a vampire knows before like trying to step in, if he can or cannot, but you kind of get the sense that angel already knows he can just walk right in at this right. point. Like there's there, there's no hesitation or anything. It's just yeah, like, yeah. he's, Oh yeah, I can go in. Cause you invited me already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know that I have a lot more to say about him. So any, any other final thoughts uh no i think that kind of covered everything that i had any anything about kate and sort of the short scene with Um, them 
I guess the only thing is her showing, you know, kind of continued or maybe even a little bit more interest in Angel, kind of, you know, the, her kind of noting again that he has no last name, that thing about, like, pop stars and popes. Yeah. Um, and Angel kind of deflects it, like, oh, you got me, I'm a pope. But, like, she's, you know, uh, kind of prying into the fact that he's a one-named person and he kind of isn't really mm-hmm. explaining it. They're kind of not, like, they're both aware of it, but they yeah. haven't really confronted it yet. So I guess just that, you know, that's continuing to, like, she's going to just get more and more curious about who this and, guy is. And and that she's apparently actively looking into him. Yeah. That she knows he doesn't have a business license. I mean, and I mean, there's been allusions to that before because he he even said like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm not licensed. I'm just a detective right. kind of thing." So right. like, you know, the fact that she seems to be, like still be kind of looking out, like you get the sense that it's not just like she's not just relying on stuff that he tells her. Like she's been looking. Yeah, she's actually there, like investigating. Into there was it. no Facebook at the time, but if there were, she would have been Facebook stalking him, kind of thing. Right. You know, right. like, um, so yeah, anyway, uh, yeah. Alright. Well, okay. Cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, so then I guess on to, uh, next week we'll be talking about, uh, Buffy again and, uh, back with Buffy. Yeah. So, and then, uh, and more Doctor Who, of course, as always. Yes. So. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.